Wow, so good. Okay, right. Today, we're going to talk about something which is also related to telling others and pointing towards Jesus being the center of it all. My title for today is entitled, No Pain, No Gain. No pain, no gain. Wow. You know, when you hear of that, there's usually something that's associated with you when you hear that term. What is that? What is that? No pain, no gain. Gym, yes, gym, going to the gym, right? Some form of exercise. It could be a form of exercise. It could be something that engages you. No pain, no gain, right? And, and, and usually for most of us, I don't know, the, the crowd this morning, most of them, when I say, any of you go to the gym, most of them put their hands down. So I think the most exercise, exercise has been the taboo word for a lot of people. For most people, exercise means putting your finger, holding the fork into the food, lifting it to the mouth repeatedly, you know? That's exercise to a lot of people. Ah, I see the face of recognition amongst you. You know who you are, okay? Right. But then, this pump, this, this um, no pain, no gain is usually associated with a certain type of exercises, which is, what type of exercise do they call that? Pumping iron, right? Pumping iron. How many of you go to the gym to do some pumping iron? Not many either. Hmm. I'm speaking to the wrong crowd here. <laughs> Never mind. I'm sure you'll do some form of exercise, right? Maybe not at the gym. There are other types of exercises where you can go out there and even something you can do at home. Have you heard of Insanity Workout? How many of you heard of that? Insanity Workout. Anyone? Anyone? No one dares to put up a hand, right? Just in case you get, ah, see, Pastor, some people say you exercise. Ah, come, let's go along. Nobody too. Well, let me tell you about Insanity Workout. It is actually something you can do at home. You can try it at home. It involves actually six minutes, 60 minutes, six days a week, over 60 days, you know. You do crazy exercise, over 60 minutes, non-stop stretching and jumping up and down, non-stop. And it is what we call HIIT, H-I-I-T. How many of you have heard of HIIT? Yes, now I see a bit more recognition. At least it's a form of HIIT exercise, high-intensity interval training. And you can do it at home. You can just get an exercise mat. You can do it at home. But it actually burns off fat. So most people do it for the sake of cardio health or losing a bit of fat. Well, this is something that usually leads you either to exhaustion or death, whichever comes first. <laughs> it, it, it's very intense. But actually, when I, my younger daughter, no, my eldest daughter actually did that. And when she did that, I, I, she wanted to get rid of a bit of fats around her. You know? um, at first, I thought it was baby fats, but, but actually baby fats is not the fat that belonged to the baby, but belonged to her after childbirth. So what she did was she went for this exercise and she, she, she jumped and she... Uh, so, wow. So then it began to hit me. No pain, no gain. So when I looked at it, I also get tired already, even without <laughs> exercising. Well, I decided, no, that's not for me. So what I did was, I took up cycling. Ah, cycling. That's another torture fest altogether. How many of you go cycling? Oh, so a few. Yes, my brother there. <laughs> brother of a different mother. But um, yes, we go cycling. And, and really, there's bonding amongst the men and the women that go cycling together. It's really good. It's a really an outreach platform. We go up and down the hills. That's another torture fest. But that's a story for another day. No pain, no gain. But I see, and I perceive, and I sense, not it takes, doesn't take very much, that many of you don't really actively participate in exercise. Maybe, perhaps, you dabble in some business, yeah? You, you do some investments. Ah, that principle of no pain, no gain, also applies to businessmen. 
but they endure the pain of investing in a very different way, a slightly different way. These are the pains of taking risks and enduring the stress that come with investment, including surviving losses or even facing major financial crisis, like, for example, the COVID recently. Many of us, yes, I would ask you to put up your hands, but many of us face financial challenges. These are painful events, but yet people endure it. People go through it because of what the potential gains could be that make enduring the pains worth it. Let me repeat that. What the potential gains that you could achieve make enduring the pains worth it. Right or not? Well, y'all don't agree, right? Y'all don't go investing, right? Do you? Surely y'all must have done some investment before. I was in the bank the other day doing some investments, actually, wondering what to do, which one to invest in, so I could make some significant gains. Wow, you all look at me, wow, this pastor, also investment. Huh? I could almost hear the voices of, see, 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 they're talking about the prosperity gospel again, huh? from the pulpit. These pastors cannot. Huh? Just in case you have that, I just want to clarify. I was at the bank helping my 82-year-old auntie who has worked very hard all the days of her life to invest into some financial instruments, okay? So I was actually investing on others' behalf, okay? Previously, previously, in the prehistoric era where dinosaurs just became extinct and I was roaming the earth doctoring about, I used to make some investments on my own, okay? I used to make some investments on my own. And, and those investments were history, gone, finished, hubbies. You know what burns up investment faster than the stock market crash? Any clue? What burns up investment faster than the stock market crash? It is not a dead joke, huh? don't worry, okay? It's kids' education, children's education. Ah, you see, by your laughter, I know you understand what I mean. I know you know what I'm talking about. Right? Many of you are parents here and you're saving up for your kids' education. Imagine, once the kids grows up, half your savings, in fact, more than half your savings, whoosh, poof, gone. I have four kids, two going through medical school. Wow, imagine that. It's almost like the 1987 Black Monday crisis, the Asian stock market crash, the 2008 financial crisis, and the 2020 COVID pandemic financial crisis all combined into the one. Kaboom! Everything finished. Bit by bit, Lanka, Debbie Lanka, gone. <laughs> Don't talk to me about the pain of losses. I felt it before, right? I felt the pain of losses. But, ah, is it worth it for the kids? Ah, from the look of recognition, I see the answer there. You know the answer. All the more when you know the hand of God is in it, behind the provision. But again, that's another story for another day. You're all, each one of you, will have a story of your own to tell of how God has intervened, not in a bad way, but in a good way, to give you that which you need. So the gain was really worth the pain. Don't you agree? Yeah? You agree to a certain extent the pain is worth the gain? Right, okay. This is what Jesus was trying to tell us to, through Luke chapter 16 and 17. You know, in the Luke chapter 16, 19 of us, I want you to turn open your Bibles. Sometimes we all... Oh, you already have that. No, you haven't that yet. You haven't that yet. Okay, turn open the Bible. Turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 19. And on that part there, whether it's an electronic device or a physical Bible, it doesn't matter. You have it on your phone. Turn it on and you will see a title there. What is that title? What is that title? 
the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man and Lazarus. Who was Jesus talking about? He was talking about another businessman. And the man doesn't get rich sitting at home and money just drops in, right? He must have done business. He must have done very well in his business. He was a rich man who led a lavish lifestyle. Not any lavish lifestyle. He probably led an uncaring, selfish, and perhaps even a painless lifestyle. For the present, he lived in the present. And then it became painful, very painful, when he met his future in the afterlife. Then and only then, he realized the folly of how we way miss his mark. Then when he saw Lazarus there, the gain that could have been his to be at peace and at leisure beside Father Abraham for eternity could have been his. That gain could have been his if only he knew. If only he knew. But instead, it was Lazarus who endured the pains of shame, of starvation, of literally painful sores that filled his body, that received the long-term gain in the end. This story that Jesus told is the first of three warnings, not just one, but three warnings that, let us, that should lead us to adopt certain gainful postures, certain postures to prevent this outcome, these future outcomes. There might be some pains now, but the future gains, the future gains far outweigh these pains. These lessons are all found in Luke chapter 16 and 17, if you'll follow me for the next 20 minutes or so. You might remember that Luke, being a detailed physician, kept records of Jesus' accounts. Now, you remember two weeks ago who was speaking? Ah, this is a test. We always ask, well, ask the pastor, what did the pastor talk about well, one week ago? Now, let me try your memory, see whether it's good or not. Two weeks ago, Pastor Jeremy was speaking and Pastor Kim was speaking. What was Jesus? What were they telling about Jesus during that time? What was Jesus talking about? He was talking about the lost. That's right. Someone remembered. Good. Thank you. So, the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and also a lost job. He was talking about that, about things that were lost in their lives, in people's lives, and how people responded to it. But now in these chapters, 16 and 17 onwards, Jesus talks about gains. He talks about gains. Previously, it was about loss, but he talks about gains. And he talks about us living a meaningful and purposeful life through several warnings, encouragement, and statements of truth regarding future events, future events, events that will happen. What are these future events that Jesus talked about? They are happenings or experiences that everyone has to go through sooner or later. They always say in life, there are taxes and death. You can avoid neither. So this is one of them. I'm not talking about taxes. I'm not here representing income tax. Huh? I, I'm talking about future events like one, life after death. You can't escape death, but be very sure if you think that there's no life after death. You have to be very sure of that. There is life after death, I assure you. And then there are also times when you will receive God's kindness. What happens then? And the third one is when Jesus returns in judgment. Just now we were singing, all hail King Jesus. When Jesus came into Jerusalem, what was he riding on? A donkey. <laughs> right, that's, that's one. I, I, I imitated a goat. A donkey was riding a donkey. When Jesus returns, what will he be riding on? A white horse. 
A donkey is a domestic animal, an animal that of peace, an animal of labor, of burden, an animal that comes to help you with your labor. Jesus came in peace the first time. But when the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, returns, He returns on a white horse. A white horse is a symbol of victory, a symbol that many dictators and leaders in the past, in history, used to ride on because they want to show off. They want to impress upon the people the authority that they hold everything in their power. Not that Jesus is coming back to show off, but Jesus will be coming back as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when He comes, that will be a time of judgment. That will be a time of judgment. Now, these three things are inevitable. Life after death, receiving God's kindness, and the judgment that comes. You may think that, oh, I die already, no judgment, right? Life after death will ensure that we will reach judgment one day. Unless, unless you know the Lord Jesus yourself. Ah, okay. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. But as much as we talk about our everyday things, our investing into our future to improve our physical health, our financial health, and also investing into kids, shouldn't, shouldn't we live gainfully and also in faith for an inevitable but promising future that continues to be unfold as we dwell in God's kingdom? Shouldn't we consider that too? As much as effort we put into physical, shouldn't we also consider that very important aspect of it, the spiritual aspect of it? So, what are the three gainful postures that can be taken up to prevent future losses? Jesus tells us there are three of them. The one, first one, be bountiful. What does it mean? Be generous, bountiful. The second one, be faithful, full of faith. Faithful. And the third one, be watchful. Be bountiful in living a life of giving generously to those who are in need. To be two, to be faithful. To be faithful as like a humble servant. To be faithfully serving. To be humble and also be filled with a sense of gratitude, of thankfulness. And to be watchful. To be watchful, why? Because we're talking about future events. What are you watching out for? For the coming of the Son of Man and of the Kingdom of God. Live a life that focuses on people, on building relationships instead of focusing on things. The first one, be bountiful. You find it in the, first, the second half of chapter 16, from verse 19 onwards. You know, early on we talk about the losses, right? And you seek, about, seek the lost coin, the lost ship and all that. That happens on earth. But this one talks about a future event. And as every one of us, He's going to meet up with Jesus sooner or later, right? You're going to have coffee or tea with him. I don't know whether, what your preference is, but you're going to miss up, meet up with Jesus. And he's not just anyone. Like if you go and meet up with your boss, what do you do? You tend to want to say something favorable, right? Because if you don't say anything favorable, <laughs> all right. Not that Jesus is going to do that to you, but when you meet with Jesus, you want something to tell him. Lord, look at that. This is what... I have done, this is what, all the thing. So you hear the Lord saying, well, well done, you spend life well on earth. I can assure you, it won't be Father Abraham you're meeting up there that you'll be accountable to. It's Jesus himself. You can give a high five to Abraham, but it will be Jesus they'll be answering to. And you remember the rich man that I talked about just a while ago in Luke 16, 19. It says there that the rich man who lived on earth was dressed in purple and fine linen 
and live in luxury every day. Think about it. You seem to think, wow, that, that's a very rich man, you know, nothing to do with me. No. Our lifestyle is not very different from the rich man. Of course, I'm not talking about your character. I'm just talking about lifestyle. Not very different from that rich man. And that rich man turned his back towards the Lazaruses that waited outside his door and perhaps even on his table. And you might notice too, the third thing, soap, we're doing soap now, observe. Okay, the third thing, you notice as the rich man's name is not mentioned, but Lazarus' name is mentioned. The Lazaruses are everywhere around us. If you apply it in our context, the Lazaruses are around us, outside your door, maybe perhaps even waiting upon you at your table in your household. And in our continuity, in our community, in, our, in, in wherever we go, in a workplace even, they are there. And yet, while they are there, they are invisible to the eyes of our hearts. They are invisible to the eyes of our hearts. You know why I say eyes of our hearts? Our hearts have eyes, you know. In Ephesians 1.18, it says... Paul prays for the Ephesians that the eyes of their heart may be open to see the spiritual dimension, the rich legacy that they have, that God lavished upon them. So, the eyes of our hearts sometimes miss out on the Lazaruses that's around us. Often, when Jesus leaves a name out, it's for a purpose. It's not only in that portion of Scripture. Many times when Jesus leaves a name out, it's leaving a blank there. And when there's a blank, you're supposed to fill in something, right? You're supposed to fill in your name. My name is supposed to go in there. And when our names go in there, let's reflect a bit on what God told the post-exilic Jews. You know, when the post-exilic Israelites came back, God said, you live in panel houses, suggesting they can afford expensive cedar wood. You know, those, those times, wood is very expensive. But in actual fact, most of them are not rich. They are not rich, but they have enough to go by. So what is God saying? It's almost like when Jesus says, you cannot follow me unless you hate your father, mother, brother, and sister. No, He's telling, not telling us to go and hate it. It's the comparison of what following Jesus means and loving your parents means. So it's the same thing here. Our riches, our riches, it's just a matter of comparison. You don't have, need to have a lot, but what God's considered riches are is so much, so much more of what we consider riches are. So what, G, what God was saying is those who have and those who have not. And Jesus is saying that exactly the same thing in um, Luke chapter 16. He's comparing the haves with the have-nots and he's speaking to us. We all live in an affluent society, Malaysia, Notwithstanding all the financial challenges that Malaysia has, it's still an affluent society. Even if you go out into the suburbs, even if you go out into the rural areas, nobody, hardly anybody I would say, hardly anybody you see begging by the roadside. That's because if they choose, they beg, but not because they have to. People can easily find a living in Malaysia. But despite all the financial challenges has, all the disasters, all the siphoning out of money, Malaysia is still in a stable financial climate. Why? Because God intervened in this rainbow nation. God intervened in our rainbow nation. I mean, we still have a roof over our head. We still have food on our table. We still can eat out. Many people in the Western countries can't even afford to eat out. We are still very blessed by the Lord. 
So none of us are really in the have-not category. So if you are not in the have-not category, then we are in the have category, in the same category as the rich man. And even if you are in the have-not category, once upon a time, not too long ago, you were also in the have category. But something happened. I don't know what it is, but something happened and you ended up in the have-not. But you look back upon what God has done. Our God is a very generous God. Silence. Do you agree with me? Our God is a generous God? Yes, He is a generous God. He has said so to His people in Malachi 3 verse 10. Bring the whole tithe, one-tenth of your earnings, into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour down so much blessing that there will not be enough room, not even enough room for you to store it. Do you think it's something that God said to His people 2,000, two and a half thousand years ago? No, He's still saying to His people now. He's still saying to His people now, today, being continues to do so. You see, by so many testimonies in yourselves, in the church itself, in SIBKL, people still testify to God's generosity in our lives. Don't you agree with me? Yes, God is still working today. God is still opening up His storehouses. Now again, I'm very careful. I'm not talking about prosperity alone. I'm talking about God's blessings in terms of relationship, God's blessings in terms of favour upon you, resting upon you, in terms of talents, in terms of things going smoothly. God's blessings is on us. When we honour Jesus by taking on the same godly characteristics of being generous, of being bountiful, God returns His honour upon you in many, many, many more times than you can imagine. Amen? Amen. He does that. I'd like to tell you a story, another story, of another businessman. This businessman owns the building right in Medan Pasa, in city centre, in the middle of a central business district, the banking district. And this is where the workplace church plant is situated. Advertisement here. Come visit us at the workplace church plant. We're on the first floor of 28 Medan Pasa. Okay, back... (laughs) Back to there. That is where the workplace church plant is situated. But I'm not here to promote the workplace church plant. I'm here to speak about the Alpha and the Omega. This man made it his decision to honour God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, right from the beginning. When his business, when he he was even a Christian before he became the businessman. But in his business, he just decided to honour God. And when he did so, God just opened his floodgates and poured into his life and into his business. Through, he also partnered with Accomplish, and through Accomplish, he managed to coach the peers through the Accomplish as a platform. And through Alpha, and through Alpha, he actually managed to see God working in his very own workplace. His staff came to know the Lord. Not only his staff in that workplace, the staff that came from a, a sawmill in Maran, in Pahang itself, came over and they got saved too. And now the factory is under the influence and the Lord Jesus was given permission to even enter the factory. And even foreign workers are being saved over there. So when he saw all this happening, he decided to consecrate a floor in that building to the Lord. So the first floor of the building, as today, we begin to see that it's actually given to workplace at the river. That's why I did a little bit of advertising. You come and see, not see how good we are or how good the decorations are, but see what God has done in that first floor of that building. And if you also want to know about Alpha, we are also promoting Alpha because what God did for His workforce, God can also do for you. 
Because if you find that your cell is faltering, if you find that the, 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 you, you don't know how to share about Jesus Christ to the people, bring them to Alpha. And Alpha is a program that speaks of the Alpha and the Omega on your behalf. So just team up, get your cell leaders. Even in a cell, you can do that. So if you want to know more about Alpha, go outside after the service. You'll find out a little bit more and see how you can impact the world for the Lord Jesus Christ. So coming back to this businessman, so when lives continue to be transformed, he decided to put aside this first floor for the Lord's use. He consecrated. We actually had a service and pastor was there for that service. And when he did so, the blessings began to pour in. Now again, God is not an ATM machine. I'm very careful about that. But why? What happened? Was You know, when you look at the first floor, in the central business district, those of you who are businessmen, can you calculate how much it will cost him monthly? to put aside one whole floor of that building and not collect rental. By the way, the building has 10 floors. So he has put one floor for the, for the Lord's use. You know what? Since then, every other ninth floor of his building is completely rented out or being used or being put to very good use. Not only that, give thanks to God, of course we must, but... The amazing thing is that in the central, for those of you who have gone down to Medan Pasa, all the buildings around the area are either vacant, they are moved out, they have either partially occupied, or they are in ruins. And God has used that as a testimony to His goodness. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord says, give a tenth of your offering unto the Lord and see if I will not bless you in many, many more times than you can imagine. So, be bountiful and generous in your giving, not just to the church, not just to the church, but unto the Lord. In terms of service, in terms of honouring God, in terms of speaking out for the Lord Jesus Christ, be generous. The second one is be faithful. Be faithful. In going to chapter 17 now, in the first part of chapter 17, Jesus encourages His disciples and my extension to us to live a life of faith and not by sight alone. I want you to repeat after me. Live a life of faith and not by sight. Come on, one more time. One, two. Live a life of faith and not by sight. It was a lesson that Jesus was teaching His disciples. You know, life during those times in the first century AD in Jerusalem is not easy. Israel at the time was not a nation. It was just a province under the, whose rule? Roman rule, Roman rule. The Roman Empire is known as the Iron-Fisted Empire. It's a very cruel empire. And it's got a divide and conquer policy. It basically pits the people of the land one against another. Those times, there were no Israelites. Well, Israelites were a nation, but the Romans don't recognize them fully as a nation. So there were Judeans, there were Galileans, there were Samaritans, and they each had to compete with one another for a living. And being an agricultural society, most of the people there can be considered in our terms as B40 group. They lived poorly. They were farmers, they were servants, they were carpenters, they were fishermen, they were, uh, what else were they? Yeah, they, they were actually a lot of people that were just living by hand. Kais pagi makan pagi, kais petang makan petang. They're living from hand to mouth. And they were forged by circumstances to come together and to compete with one another. So if you think life is tough for you, 
try first century Jerusalem. But then, if you think about it, isn't 21st century post-COVID Malaysia somewhat similar? It was under these challenging circumstances of financial decline and racial division that Jesus reminded His disciples to exercise faith. You see the similarity there? It was a painful season for them, but exercising faith is the gainful posture that's going to see you through into the next season of your life. Let me repeat that. Exercising faith is the gainful posture that's going to see you through into the next season of your life. Truthfully, Jesus tells us about the power of faith. He uses an illustration. You know what's an illustration? Turn to 17 verse 6. Luke chapter 17 verse 6. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Faith as small as a mustard seed. You know how small a mustard seed is? Less than two millimetres. You know how big it grows to be a tree? It's about 20 feet tall and 30 feet wide. That's what a mustard seed that small can achieve. To many, it will think it's impossible, but Jesus used that as an illustration. That seed that was present in the Mediterranean climate at that time. Something very real to show the potential to achieve the impossible. And he used that to illustrate what a faith in a sovereign God, in an almighty God, in a faithful God, in a God that lives forever and ever can do. That is the God that you and I have that He will do the, what He can do with the seemingly impossible situations that we may be in. I don't know about it, but you know and God knows. Some of you may be in some impossible situations right now and saying there's no way out. Jesus says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, nothing is impossible with God. With God, nothing is impossible. If only you place your faith in Him, if only you place your faith in Him, trust in Jesus, the God who talks to you about impossibility. Then Jesus goes to ground this very important spiritual principle of going by faith and not by sight with the illustration of a servant's posture and also a demonstration of a racial barrier breaking act. In Luke 17, 7 to 10, he used the humble posture of a servant to remind us that in exercising faith, not to be proud of ourselves in receiving our master's approval when faith brings results. You know, when many of us just start off, some of you may be new in church, and then the, your, your, you join a cell, and the cell leader will ask you to pray, and you, yeah, no, la, not me, la, him, la, her, la, you know, anybody but me. But, but when you do that, and you actually take a step forward and say, yes, I will pray, you are exercising that small seed of faith. You're beginning to exercise that seed of faith. And then you pray, and lo and behold, I prayed and the person got healed. Wow, you're so encouraged. And then you pray again and someone needed strength to carry on the project. That project went through and you prayed again and someone who, who needed a salvation in the family received a salvation. And then before long, you find what is supernatural seems very natural. We are praying along and things become, begin to happen. But what happens then? There's a pitfall. That pitfall is when we think what is supernatural, we thought it becomes natural. And it happens again and again. And there is this temptation for many of us 
who have been with the Lord many years, even as leaders ourselves, even as pastors ourselves, may fall into this temptation and think, hey, it's about my prayer, you know? It's about me doing good works for the Lord. Be very careful. The Lord says, be faithful. Be faithful. Be filled with faith and not fall into the trap of just being, thinking that what's supernatural has become natural. Are you there with me? Can I go on? Yeah, so good. Thank you so much. And then Jesus has to teach His disciples, His Jewish disciples, who were actually discriminated upon by the Romans, a painful lesson in faith and about discriminating others. Where do I get that from? The next story that Jesus... It's not a story. It's an illustration. Jesus used that healing as an illustration. In Luke chapter 17, verses 17 to 18, He was talking about the healing with the ten lepers. Now, you all know the story, right? Or you need to refer to the Bible. You all know the story, right? It's about the ten lepers that were healed. What happened to the ten lepers? What happened to the ten lepers? No, what happened to the ten lepers? All healed. And then after healing, Jesus told them to go to the priest. Show yourself, right? And then after showing themselves, they all? Where? Chabut, right? They all chabut. All disappeared. Except, except one. Except one, right? All chabut except one. And that one is of which descent? What descent is, is he? A Jew? Was he a Jew? Was he a Galilean? Was he a Judean? He was a? He was a? Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. Ah, he was a Samaritan. Before I go any further, when Jesus was approaching Jerusalem and he met a woman at the well, and at the well, it was where he implied to his disciples, he was teaching his disciples using that occasion, a very powerful spiritual principle that you worship God in spirit and truth. What descent was the woman at the well? Samaritan. Then when Jesus was telling the parable of an injured man by the roadside, and there was a priest that went by, and there was a Levite that went by, and then a third person went by who actually helped that injured person, put him up at the inn and paid for his expenses. What descent was that person? Samaritan. Why? Eh? In the middle of, of Israel, in the middle of, of, of all this, he, he deliberately teach, taught his disciples important spiritual principles like this one now about faithfulness, about living by faith and not by sight, about being humble in front of a Samaritan. Because it is in this land that while the Jews felt they are discriminated against by the Romans, they were discriminating against the Samaritans. Do you realize that? It's a two-edged sword. They were discriminating against Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breed. They were half-Jews, half-other people. And they were living always in tension with the Samaritans. So God is telling us that even in times like this, in difficult times like this, first He said this. In chapter 19, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. So when Jesus told that, He was actually telling His disciples, be thankful. Look at this Samaritan. He is exactly whom you are discriminating against. Who came back? What happened to the nine Jews? None of them came back except this Samaritan. Yet, he was thankful. How about you? 
That is what Jesus, I'm paraphrasing, he never said that, but I believe that this is what Jesus is saying to his disciples and by extension to us. And then the Jews themselves were discriminated against by the Romans. They were saying, Yala, we are so terrible. You see, we live in the B40 level, you know. We can't eat a living. We've got to fight with the others to earn a living. How to carry on like that? They are discriminated against. But Jesus says, be thankful. Be thankful. You are not part of the have-nots. You are the haves. Be thankful. So, in everything, as Paul says, in everything, give thanks unto the Lord with petitions and prayers. Make your requests be known to the Lord. Have a thankful attitude. So when you also, in faith, you have the attitude of a servant, a servant that's thankful. Be faithful and live a life of humility and gratitude. Be thankful. And also be thankful even in difficult situations. You know, our Malay friends, whenever they have a divine blessing, you know what they do? They hold a Kanduri. They hold a kanduri. You find that happening. It's not just to show up. You see, because we discriminate against many of our, uh, our M friends, we, we, we will say that, oh, yeah, you know, they, they are, they're trying to show off loud or something like that. Maybe not you. Maybe I'm talking about another church down the road or maybe I'm talking about another group of people. But let's be frank. We do that often. Yeah? So it's about a thankful attitude that I'm talking about. And yet we feel discriminated against by the other group. So, it becomes very hard when we have to give up an attitude. It becomes painful even when we have to put on an attitude of thankfulness when we are the discriminated party. But in faith, the Lord Jesus says, release it. Release it. Release the pain that you might gain the freedom. Release the pain that you might gain that freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus is telling His disciples. Be faithful, be humble, and live, not only that, and live a life that will focus on people, which is the next point I'm going to talk about. Be watchful, be watchful. In the last part, in chapter 17, Jesus prepares His disciples for both the present-day coming of the kingdom of God and the future judgment with the coming of the Son of Man. His return, in other words. So when Jesus was initially asked by the Pharisees who were there, now the Pharisees, you all know, right? We have so much also discriminated against the Pharisees, poor group of people. But really, they are a group of people who were so caught up, so obsessed with legality, so obsessed with outward appearances, so obsessed with making sure the right thing is done according to the word of the Lord. Nothing wrong with the word of the Lord, but it's an over-obsession with that. And it becomes religiosity instead of religion. James says true religion are those that take care of the orphans and the widows and doing good. Well, they are so obsessed with that. So when they ask, when would the kingdom of God be here? This is what Jesus answered in verse 20. The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Strange, right? Strange words that Jesus says. Because later he goes on to explain to his disciples what the kingdom of God is. Why did Jesus tell the Pharisees that? Because the Pharisees were focusing so much, so much on the material, the natural, and the worldly things. They were absolutely blind to the spiritual dimension of God's kingdom. Even when he hit them smack in the face, they couldn't recognize the Messiah that was before their eyes. The kingdom of God is in their midst, right before them. They couldn't see it. 
So Jesus found. It's not something that you can observe. But in contrast, Jesus not only told his disciples, subsequently, you can read that in the second part of Luke chapter 17. He tells them about also the return of the Son of Man. How to be watchful, watch out, and how you should behave, how, what postures you should adopt when you wait for the return of the Son of Man and when the kingdom of God is here with the Son of Man in your midst. He used stories too of how Noah and Lot's past preparations helped them to prepare from being too deeply immersed into the world. And by adopting that posture, it helped them not to be caught up when disaster and destruction came upon their lives. So he tells his disciples, be watchful. Come, repeat after me. Be watchful. One, two. Be watchful. watchful. That's right. Being watchful means keeping ourselves from being obsessed with possessions. You know what the people of Lord's time did? In verse 28, they were saying they were buying and selling and planting and building. You know, they were doing very busy going about their work, their busy routine, BAU, business as usual. Now, planting in those days is not gardening. Huh? Their planting is the livelihood. They work in their life, they plant things, and from there they get money. So they were busy with work and buying and selling. Or the other group, Jesus talked about Noah in verse 27. They were preoccupied with the enjoyment of life. With the enjoyment of life, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving away in marriage. It was almost as if Elizabeth Taylor, you know, having 10 marriages over and over again. You know, or maybe, maybe they might be holidaying too. Noah's friends were all swept away before they had a chance to go on the cruise ship that Noah went on. So, they were doing a lot of things during those times, but they were not doing the important things. Now, you're beginning to get the idea. And you begin to think, wow, Pastor Samkyong is a killjoy, yeah? Tell her, yeah, don't go to expensive restaurants, la. don't drink the fine wine, la. you know, don't go about going for the top job, you know, career is not that important, serve the Lord is more important, uh, don't, 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 uh, what do you call it, uh, don't build expensive houses yourself. No, no, I'm not saying any of these things. I'm not saying any of these things at all. It's okay, it's okay when the Lord blesses us with a good job, with a good home, with a good family, with, with items, it's okay. But all I'm saying, all I'm saying is what Jesus himself is telling his disciples there. There's a purpose that he's telling his disciples, that he mentioned Noah and he mentioned Lot. Even though you must remember his disciples are not very rich, but they are not the have-nots. What Jesus is saying is, don't be obsessed with possessions. And don't be preoccupied with the enjoyment of life. And I know, I know SIBKL is a very good church. I know most of you are not in that category. Definitely not. Definitely not. But may I just have your permission to tell you what are the first two signs, in case, in case, that you are. What are the first two signs? You see, I, I'm trained, or I was trained as a doctor to look for signs. One. See, when a patient walks in the room and I ask the patient, what's wrong with you? The patient will turn around and tell me, you tell me what's wrong. I'm paying you to tell me what's wrong with me. So I have to look for signs. You see, signs that give me an early diagnosis of what the problem is. So what are the two signs that we are obsessed with possessions or we are preoccupied with living the good life? The first sign is when your giving drops. Not a risk drop, but a giving drops. Your tax and offering begin to go down. Your personal tax and offering begins to go down. That's the first sign. You develop a serious case of tight fisticism. 
Your fist becomes so tight uh, that you can't let go. You put things on the altar so when you come away, uh, you take it back with you. You know, to say the problem with the living sacrifice is they always crawl off the altar. Tight fistism. That's the first sign. The second sign is where there's a refusal to serve in any capacity and sometimes even coupled with staying away from cell or church or being irregular. You know, when, when, when someone is usually approached uh, to become a cell leader or take on a, a, a response, position of responsibility, they will say, yeah, cannot be cell leader, la. you know, I got work, so much work to do, you know, I come back very late, cannot be law, you know. Or, you know, when a cell leader asks, hey, hey come la, you know, the cell, I didn't see you in cell you know, for the last one month. Oh, you know why? Because I go on holiday law. But I also didn't see you two months ago. Yeah, laws also got more holidays, ma. I kept on going on holidays. Or when they ask you to come along, come help us feed the poor in, in uh, Pataling Street. Most times the answer is, cannot law, my mother's sick, la. I cannot go along. Oh, how about next week? Oh, my grandmother also sick, law. Hey, how about my mother's side? My dog also falls sick, law. You know, sometimes you come up with a lot of excuses to cover up what is potentially a serious cardiac problem. You know what's a cardiac problem? A hole in the heart. The heart has a hole which God is supposed to fill, but it's not filling it. And God is absent from our, many of our hearts sometimes, if, if only you see those signs happening. Simply put, being watchful means having a heart that takes after God's own heart. What's in God's heart? God's heart is for the least, the last, the lost. And if you find that that's not in you, then you do not have God very much in your heart. You have a hole in the heart. And it's about loving people and not using things. Loving people and using things. You know, from very young, many of us were taught love people and use things. Not the other way around. But as we grow older, the problem is by default, many of us use people and love things. We may not realize it. Go back, take a pause and check and see. <laughs> no pain, no gain. It might be a bit painful to pay a small cost now to put aside these things, to adopt a watchful posture, a posture of humility and in faith and to serve and to love the Lord. It might be painful, but that's a small price to pay, small price to pay to spare us from a much greater loss in time to come. Let us not be the Lazarus, let us not be the rich man that one day, one day, realised that we missed the mark by so much, by so much. Jesus completes chapter 17, Luke chapter 17 by verse 33. He says, whoever tries to keep the life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Whoever tries to keep the life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. That summarizes actually what I was saying for the last 26 minutes. So be watchful and live a life loving people, focusing on building relationships, not things. So in closing, I started off early by talking about the different ways, different ways which we are concerned, so concerned with our physical health, our financial health, our kids, living in the material world. And the extent of pains, the, the deep pains, sometimes the pain of parenting, the pains of investing, the pains to avoid losses and to achieve all that gains. Yet, yet when it comes to spiritual gains, we don't want to take that intentional and sometimes painful steps to avoid 
the spiritual losses that awaits us in the future if you're not careful. So may I encourage you, may I encourage you, take steps to obtain the priceless spiritual treasures, the treasures that God promises in Ephesians 2, the wonderful priceless treasures, so the eyes of our hearts may be open to see these spiritual treasures of peace, of joy, of love, of being in the presence of a faithful God, even from this moment onwards, and for eternity, which money can never buy, which money can never buy. You know, there's another story, if I might tell you, of this rich man who begged with St. Peter to be allowed to bring at least one bit of his treasure. He has got billions and billions, but St. Peter said, no, what do you want to, to use this in heaven? You, you have got no use for all this earthly treasure. No, Lord, St. Peter, let me just bring one bit. Let me just bring my, my gold bars with me, please. You know, just go bars. I mean, we don't know what's the currency in heaven. On earth, it's very expensive, but just go bars so I can show off a little, you know. St. Peter said, okay, Lord, if you insist, you know? But when he went up there, you know what he found out? The whole of heaven is paved with gold. The gold bars are actually pavement stones for heaven. You don't believe me? Read it yourself. Heaven is paved with gold. All our currency on earth is useless up there. Well, I believe that most of us, most, most of us are already in that position that we already have begun to store up some treasure in heaven. And I thank God for that. SIBKL is a good church. Amen? Amen. SIBKL is a good church. Many of us have already have rich accounts in heaven. But may I encourage you to continue to live this life, to be watchful, to be faithful, and to honour God, to be bountiful, to be generous in serving the Lord and giving unto His kingdom. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Amen? as an epilogue to my saga of helping my 82-year-old auntie. In investing for gains, there's a part that I didn't mention just now. All my life, my auntie has been living a frugal lifestyle. Just, just in case you all don't know what frugal is, it might be an alien word to many of you, it's a prehistoric term that actually talks about simplicity, a very simple lifestyle. Maybe perhaps if I use the Zen-like existence, yeah, a very simple life bordering on ascetics or asceticism. Not aesthetics, huh? aesthetics is beauty, cosmetics, huh? asceticism, okay? But I'm saying it not because I want to stress the point of living poorly in God's kingdom. No, it's not about that. My auntie does not do that because she wants to appear poor. Because she invests for heavenly gains. The profits or interest from her investment have been are still are being used for years in supporting the church building funds, in putting church kids through courses and camps, for helping children through education, even adults financially during difficult times like the COVID. And always looking out to bless the occasional driver, maid, or even waiter, or bandaraya worker, or anyone else that may not have enough to bring home. That's worthwhile, earthly investment for heavenly gains. Do you agree? Let's take a while to do a quick stock check. How much have you already deposited into your account with the Lord Jesus Christ? How much have you deposited into your account with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you only using your financial gains for earthly use, leaving little heavenly treasure? Are you saving up your gold bars for use later on up in heaven? The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 7 to 9, 
but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I lost all things. Wow. What Paul has achieved is not a loss, you know. He studied under Gamaliel. He had riches, he had power, he has authority, he had influence. He gave it all up. He considered it as loss. Again, like Jesus' comparison, the love for God and the love for human beings are two vast differences. So because of that, whatever Paul had in the past is lost. And he goes on to say this, not only that, he says that I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is true faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. On the basis of faith. Your righteousness, my righteousness is not through works, it's through faith. And faith in an almighty, powerful, sovereign, just now we sung, what a powerful name it is. And yet, what a beautiful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. God is both love and justice. That's who Christ is. So why is Paul willing to give up all this? Because Christ is worth it all. Christ is worth it all. Amen? He is no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Many of you know this statement. Many of you even put it onto your email or into your books or into your journals. Jim Elliot, probably, you probably know was an American missionary, but he died at a young age of 28. He gave his life for the Haurani Indians. They are not our West Indian, no? they are the South American Indians. It's a tribe that were very violent. They fight with other tribes. So when they went there, they were trying to engage them. In 1955, he died. And when he died, his wife, Elizabeth, and daughter, Valerie, survived him and continued to speak of his love, his compassion for these people. He never regretted giving up his life for them because, as Paul says, the love of Christ compels me to do this. Today, they did a recent survey. More than 40% of the tribe has become Christians and they are honouring the Lord through what they do. Jim Elliot's work probably started way before that year he died, which was 67 years ago, probably about 70, 80 years ago. 70, 80 years ago, three Australian missionaries came over to Sabah and Sarawak with the very same reason, because they knew the people, the headhunters of Sabah and Sarawak needed salvation. And by God's grace, 80 years later, about the same time, Jim Elliot went into South America. We have SIBKL. That's because God's hand, God's mighty right hand is upon His people. Knowing that once there was a people that were bound for extinction, He saved them. Knowing that there were two nations that were bound to be caught up in other faiths, He saved them. 
And knowing that Malaysia is a rainbow country and he needed a stand, a church that would stand up for righteousness, for justice, and for proclaiming a testimony to God's mighty name. And that church is SIBKL. Give thanks to God because God did this mighty work. Amazing work. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'm going to call for the closing song. And as we call for the closing song, the altar will be open. Many of you have already known the Lord Jesus Christ. You have already have Him in your life. And you've been doing exactly the same encouragement, exaltation that I have already spoken about in the last half hour. Keep it up. But some of you, some of you, just some of you, I don't know who you are, maybe going through difficult circumstances, impossible situations sometimes, or maybe have invested into something that you thought would bring back fruits, but how could it be God that I'm not sure what's the next direction and you need the Lord to give you a direction? Or some of you may have kids that you invested in so much, so much, but today, they are far from the Lord. And there are many, many other needs that are here. The altar is open for you. Do come forward to the altar as we sing the closing song. So may I encourage you to stand up as we sing the closing song. And there is one last group that you do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus and you don't know how you're going to get the gain, the wonderful, marvellous gain that this bloke up there on the stage is talking about and you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to find out more? Come forward. If you are a friend who brought that person, bring the person forward and we will tell the person about what a marvellous, faithful God that we can come to and where else should we go to except to the throne of mercy. Yes, Lord Jesus, we are yours and yours alone, Lord. Of all the treasures on earth, Lord God, you chose each one of us by hand, Lord God. And not only that, you call your sons and daughters from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, and you carve our names on the palm of your hands, Lord. Even if a nursing mother would forget a child, you will not forget us. And I thank you, Lord God, that you see each one of us as of such worth upon this earth. How much more, Lord, we respond to you. We want to tell you, Lord, that you are of much more worth than anything else this earth can offer, Lord. You are great, you're mighty, you're powerful, you're wonderful, you're beautiful, Lord. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you that we can hear of your word today. And Lord God, we pray that your word will be carried by us. The fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of the rose of Sharon will go out from the doors of this sanctuary today as we carry it into our homes, into our workplaces, into our communities, Lord God, that we carry the presence of Christ and we bless them because, Lord God, your storehouses are open in our lives. We praise you. We thank you. We pray, Lord God, that the Lord God Almighty, that the love of Father God, that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with one and all until we meet again. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you all. The altar is still open. So for those of us who do not have a need to be prayed for, do join Maybe make use of the Ask Me counter outside. For those of us who are new, do come down to the hospita hospitality suite on the first floor. But those of us who would want for prayer, the altar is still open. The Lord Jesus is waiting for you. For the rest, thank you so much. God bless. Have a wonderful week ahead. And we we'll see you next Sunday again.